Tonight is our monthly, regular monthly prayer service that we try to do. Um, we're going to talk about praying for our nation in this time. As I look at our country and so much of what's going on, more and more it seems to me America is embracing the, the spirit of Antichrist. Now, I don't mean the spirit of the Antichrist who will come into the world in the last days and, and be cause all the problems that he's going to cause. I'm talking more about the, the spirit of Antichrist that the Apostle John warns us about. And if you have a handout, you should have most all these verses there at least referenced. But John says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard, that should come, and is now already in the world. So what this means is there is, not there could be or there might be, there is, and really there always has been, a spirit in the world at work, and this spirit is against Christ. This spirit influences people away from Christ. It even makes people hostile towards Christ. And I feel America is embracing this spirit more and more. I think as we... We look at the news, we look at social media, we look at what's going on in our country. Very much, it is very anti-Jesus, very anti-biblical truth, very anti-the gospel of Jesus Christ. This isn't just incidental. This isn't just something that, well, the world's different. This is a very real spiritual influence seeking to turn people and the nation as a whole against Jesus. Now, Scripture has warned us about this. We see in the book of John, 1 John, John warns us this is going to be that way. The Bible warns us in numerous other places it's going to get worse as time goes on. Right. So this isn't going to just, on its own, if, if we hope hard enough and if we don't do anything, it's just going to get better and there'll be a, a turnaround. This isn't one of those things that's it's on a pendulum. Right? And so it swung way over here now, but it's going to swing over back this way. That's not the way this is going to work. Apart from God intervening in our world, in our nation, it is going to swing further and further away from Jesus. That, that is what's going to happen. That is what the Bible teaches. But the Bible also teaches us how we can fight back against it. And the primary way we fight back against it is through prayer. So we're going to look at how to pray for our nation. So first, we're going to talk about praying for America's leaders. Right now, familiar passage, 1 Timothy uh, 2, verses 1 through 7. If you have your Bible, you want to look at that. This is probably the, the, the passage talking about how to pray for those who are in authority. And I'll read this and we'll come back and kind of talk about it. 1 Timothy 2, uh, I think I said page 910 if you have a pew Bible. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1 says, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercession, giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom, for all to be testified in due time. Right, so this passage first it exhorts us and it gives us all these kinds of prayers. And it says we're to pray first of all for people, all people, but specifically it mentions for kings and all those who are in authority. Right, so we pray for everyone, but specifically we are commanded by Scripture to pray for those who are in governmental authority. Right? In America we don't have Kings, but we have presidents and vice presidents and speaker of the house. Uh, we have governors and mayors and city councils, right? And so that's who we are to pray for. Who this would reference for us to pray for? It, it is, I believe, critically important for believers to pray for the leaders of our government. It is critically important we take this seriously and not just make it a, well, yeah, that's what the Bible says, Lord, help them, Lord, guide them, something like that. But we make it a matter of very real, very earnest, very fervent prayer. 
uh, th- this has nothing to do with this particular passage, but I, I was reading, in, I'm doing a study on my own in Luke 10, kind of like what we're going through on Sunday mornings with our prayer focus. And, and Jesus makes reference to the Lord of the harvest, right? The, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, but pray the Lord of the harvest. And I was thinking about that, and, and it hit me. Jesus sees this great problem. There's all of these needs. There's all of these people who don't know Him, who aren't hearing the gospel. And His first solution, it's not to, to have a gathering and take up an offering. It's not to organize a mission or group. It, it, it's to pray. And it just hit me. I, I have prayed for that often, taught about it hundreds of times probably. But I just realized I had not put the, the sincere effort into that as a solution. Right, so, so I look at Gaiman, or I look at the, the unreached of the day that I share on social media. And, and there's so many in Gaiman that don't know Jesus. There's so many in these unreached places who don't know Jesus. And I think, what can we do? How do we get out there? And Jesus says the first thing to do is to make it a, a matter of earnest, disciplined prayer. That is a solution. Right? And, and I tell that story because when it talks about the government, the government isn't recently an issue in the world. The government of men has always been an issue in the world. As far back as there have been governments, there have been good governments and there have been bad governments. And I think if we were to look, the bad and corrupt governments by far outweigh the good ones, outnumber the good ones. Even the government Paul is talking about here, Rome. Rome was not known for its morality, was not known for its kindness to Christianity, it was far more hostile than, than America has ever been, far more anti-Christ than, than America has ever even thought about being. And Paul's solution, he looked at this corrupt government, at this government that persecuted Christians, that was wickedly immoral. And his primary solution, through the influence of the Holy Spirit, was pray for them. Pray for them. And this is what we must do. We must see this not as, okay, that's what the Bible says, Lord bless, we move on. But we look at our government, we see there are problems. What is the solution? What do we do to make a difference, to make our nation, our government better? We pray for our leaders, like the Bible says. We pray for our president. We pray for those who sit in the House of Representatives. We pray for our congressmen, our senators, our national senators, our state senators. We need to pray for our city council members. All all of these people. We should earnestly, fervently pray for and see this. This is how we affect them. This is how we make it better. Pastor Chuck Smith Former Pastor Chuck Smith, the late Pastor Chuck Smith, said the real purpose of government is to preserve the good. That's the purpose of government. The preservation of good. And all laws should be designed for the preservation of good. Because there are actual, there are these evil influences and powers and government is actually ordered or ordained for the purpose of preserving the good. Keeping out the evil. And when the government no longer is fulfilling that function of keeping out the evil, preserving the good, then the evil they allow will ultimately destroy that government. He goes on, Study your history books and you will see it is true over and over again. Most governments began with a high ideal of preservation of good, but in time, the corrupt forces moved in, the laws were liberalized to where good was no longer being preserved, but evil was being allowed, being tolerated, and then being protected by the laws. And the next thing was that the evil then overthrew the government. Doesn't that sound familiar? I mean, Romans 13 does talk about the government's meant to preserve the good, to fight the evil. And what Chuck Smith says is, when the government doesn't do that, the evil they allow, it eventually overthrows it. So we look at our country, we look at what's going on, and we can say, it is the fruit of not preserving good. It is the fruit of allowing evil, and the evil the government has allowed and has protected is now attacking, and is now seeking to overthrow it. 
We are in a place, largely in our nation, where evil is protected and it's called good. And good is being attacked and it's called evil. And so we need to pray. Pray for the leaders over our nation. But we're even told what we're to pray for. For kings and authorities, all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. And the King James says, honestly. Right? We pray so we can live a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and honesty or reverence to God. Right? So this is the reason we pray for our leaders. We want them. To lead, to govern, to make and enforce laws that promote peace and godliness and unity and freedom. But we don't pray for political leaders so there is an advance of our political ideology. Because that's not what's primary. What's primary is that there is quiet. And quiet means that there's not that constant strife and disturbance. There's, there's a peaceable life. In other words, we can get along with one another. There is godliness and it's okay to live a godly life. And we, as followers of Christ, we can live lives of reverence to Jesus. That is the ultimate goal. Other stuff is way, way secondary, way, way down the list. And he goes on in verse 3 and says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Now the this which is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, is praying for kings and for all who are in authority so that we could lead a quiet, peaceable life in godliness and reverence. So we always please God when we take the time to pray for our leaders. That is always something pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Now, of course, I, I didn't put, there's so many leaders I could have put, I just put the national leaders, right? The president, the vice president, Senate majority leader, Speaker of the House, Senate minority leader, um, and then the Supreme Court. Uh, of course, I could have listed our governor, our state senators, our mayor, our city council members, but we're praying specifically for our country tonight. And, and those are the ones who have probably, in my opinion, at least the greatest influence, the greatest ability to make laws, enforce laws that would enable us to live a quiet, peaceful life in godliness and honesty. Um, there's some prayer requests to give, and I, I won't go through all of them because we don't have time. But just pray for them to be God-fearing. This is a huge one. Pray they would be God-fearing and recognize they are accountable to God for each and every decision and each and every act. I mean, do you think, think of how much of of their lives, our lives, gosh, our lives, but their lives. We're talking about them tonight, not us. Think how many of their decisions and their lives would be different if they understood they were accountable to Almighty God who will judge the nations righteously. And they understood that and they were afraid. They lived in fear of that, as the Bible says. Wouldn't that change so much? Of how they act and what they do. Pray if they were unsaved. They would be drawn to a saving encounter with Christ. If they are born again. They would be strengthened and encouraged in their faith. Pray they would sense their own inadequacy. And they themselves would seek the will of God. Pray they would seek out and they would be given. Godly counsel and God fearing advisors. Again. To me. And I don't know how politicians work. I've never met a massive politician. But I, I guess I assume, because I think so lowly of most politicians, is that they all seek out an echo chamber. Well, I think this is a good idea, don't you? Oh, yes, sir, I think that's the greatest thing I've ever heard ever. That's who I think they seek out as counselors, by and large. But that's not who they need. They need people who will say, that's stupid. That is a wicked decision. That is wrong. So pray they would have wise and godly counselors. Pray they would be honest and faithful with their spouses. Pray uh, they would redeem their time and they would know their priorities. Pray they would be prepared to give an account to Almighty God. Pray they would endeavor to restore the sanctity of life, the importance of families, divine order and morality 
in our nation. Now, one last thing before we take a few minutes and pray. And this, I think, is an important point for what the season we're in. Right? Because I, you may have noticed, I don't know, it's, it's not been talked about much, but this is election year. Right? And, and in a month or so, we're going to vote on a new president. Or we're going to vote on the same president. We're going to vote on the president. And one thing we should realize is we don't know for sure how that vote's going to go. President Trump could be reelected. And then again, January 20th, 2021, we could we could be swearing in President Biden and Vice President Harris. That's that's a legitimate response. Either one of those could legitimately happen. Now, let's say. You are conservative politically. And you really like the president, but the vice president wins. And in January of 2021, we're swearing in President Joe Biden. How should we, as disciples of Jesus, think, feel, and act about the new president? Well, we should pray for them because they're an authority. We should pray they would make laws and decisions that would enable us to lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty because that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. But what if you really don't like the president and you really like President or Vice President Biden and we're, re, we're re-electing? And in 2021, it's President Trump taking the oath of office again. What do we do? Well, we pray for kings and all who are in authority. We may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty because this is good and accepted in the sight of God our Savior. No matter how much we dislike whatever our, our other party is, no matter how immoral we think they are, no matter how antichrist we think they are, let's keep in mind when Paul wrote this and told the Christians in Rome to pray for Caesar. It was a Caesar who put Christians in the den with lions and let them be eaten to death for sport and for show. It was a Caesar who dipped live Christians in pitch and oil, hung them up in his garden and lit them on fire and had a party in light of them burning to death. Remember, it was a Caesar who expelled all Christians from Rome And so let's realize, no matter which president, which person is elected, this is still our responsibility toward them. Whether we like them, whether we love them, whether we despise them, whether we think they are the worst human that's ever walked the face of the earth, Paul gave this command to Christians who were suffering deeply, legitimately, horrifically under a king. And what he said to do was pray for them. So we can live lives, quiet, peaceable, godliness, and honesty. And that this was acceptable and good in the sight of God our Savior. So we are to pray for them. So let's take a few minutes and let's pray for these on our list. Take time to, if you want to hide it in list, Vice President Biden or Senator Harris, because they're not in the office yet, but if you want to pray for them as they're on the election trail, that would be good as well.
Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we are thankful to live in a nation where we are free. I mean, we, we tend to probably take that for granted because we've really never not been free. But how wonderful it is to get to gather here tonight without fear, without concern, just to gather in your house worship you, study your word, seek you in prayer. How wonderful to live in a country where we get to have a say in who runs our government, who are the leaders, because we get to vote and try to elect them. What a privilege we have in this. So tonight, Lord, as we are in a very contentious election season, we we repent first if we are part of the problem of the strife and the discord in our nation, help us to understand, God, we can have strong opinions and we can be bold in what we believe and what we think is right without being jerks. And Lord, where we see people who are jerks, help us to know we we don't have to show up to every fight we're invited to. We can just ignore people. And we can just sort of move on and let it go. And Lord, when those things that they say do kind of get in our crawl and begin to to bug us, help us to let that go so we don't go back and stir up the trouble. We pray for our leaders tonight. We do pray for the President. We're thankful he has recovered quickly. We pray that he would continue to be strong and healthy. We pray that He would have wise and godly counselors. And Lord, when He's given wise and godly advice, that He would be humble enough to take it. And when He makes wise and godly decisions, let those prosper and flourish. And where He might make a foolish and an ungodly decision, just frustrate that so that it goes nowhere and does nothing. We ask, God, that You would guide our our Congress and You would give them humility. They, They often seem so arrogant in their talking, so hate filled toward one another. Make them able to work together and do what needs to be done, what's good for the nation, not good for one particular side or the other. Guide the president and the vice president as they travel for the campaign and keep them safe. Guide Vice President Biden and Senator Harris as they travel and keep them safe. Father, one main thing for our elected leaders, I pray, is they would understand that there is a God in heaven who rules over the nations, even this one. And there will come a day in which they will stand before you. And they will stand before your great white throne of judgment. And they will give an account for the the lives they have lived. But, But not only that, for the power they have wielded as senators, as congresspeople, as judges, as presidents, as vice presidents, as just... Voices who people listen to. And Lord, we know politicians are notorious for saying what the electorate wants to hear. And a good politician can convince their base a lot of things, whether they're true or not. But God, You make them understand when they stand before You Their eloquent speech won't matter. You're not not an electorate they can stir up. They can't play on your prejudices. They can't play on your fears. They can't play on your covetousness. You are a holy God. And you will judge them righteously and justly. And knowing that's true, cause them to fear 
cause them to understand the greatness of the God to whom they are accountable and guide them to make wise and godly decisions because of that. Be with our country as we go through this last little bit of the election season. And you know how it's going to turn out already. And you're not scared or frustrated or or anything along those lines. So help us not to be either. No matter how it turns out, let your people rise up and be lights that shine brightly in a dark and an angry and a bitter world. Let us demonstrate in how we respond our allegiance, our loyalty, our devotion that belongs to the Lamb that was slain and has risen again. Let that be evident in all of our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Second part we want to pray. Let's pray for America's salvation. And so as we talk about praying for America, I've only given two things. Pray for our leaders. Pray for this. But there is, I believe, an attitude as we pray for America in so many other ways we could pray for. There is a a posture or an attitude we should have as we pray. Now, this isn't so much the content of our prayer, but the attitude of our hearts as we pray. And and it comes from Habakkuk 3.2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Now there's several parts of that passage we don't have time to look at tonight. There's only two aspects I want us to see. The first is what I've highlighted at first. Um, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Right? These two things that we're going to look at should guide our hearts. They should be the foundation of our posture and our attitude as we pray. Now, Habakkuk says he heard God's speech and he was afraid. As a student of God's Word and a student of God, Habakkuk knew what God had said. He had heard God as a prophet, but he had also read God's Word and he knew all the things God had said. And knowing what God had said, having heard the Lord speak, brought a form of awe and and even terror Into Habakkuk's heart. As disciples of Jesus, we too should be students of God's Word. And if we are, and if we know what God has said, we hear Him through His Word, it should bring, in some ways, awe and terror into our hearts. Now that can sound strange. Because we so often talk about our time in the Word strengthening us or encouraging us or reviving us or comforting us. And to be sure, the Word absolutely does these things. But there are also certain things when we read them and then we look at the world around us, we should say, Woo! I heard your Word. Lord, I'm terrified by it. So let me give you some examples. Proverbs 29 and 18 says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, the idea of vision there refers to prophetic revelation, right? That a prophet received from God as he took God's message to the people, right? So prophetic word or vision there refers to God's message. For us, it would be scripture, right? So where there is no scripture, where it's not heeded, where it's not understood, where it's not obeyed, the proverb writer says the people perish. Now the word perish in the the Hebrew, it more accurately means to run wild. Or some translations would say to cast off all restraint. So the idea isn't so much they die, they don't receive God's word and so they die. Instead it's they abandon themselves to live in sin. They abandon themselves to go headlong and do all the things their sinful nature wants them to do. And it seems what the King James translators did was they interpreted the end result of such a life. If you were to abandon yourself to your worldly pleasures, your sinful lusts, the end of that would be you would perish. So what we see in 
Proverbs 29 and 18 is where the Word of God isn't found or where the Word of God isn't accepted or where the Word of God is kind of thrown off in life and people don't submit to it or understand it or receive it. The people become unrestrained. They cast off any sort of moral restraint they may have and they run wild and live simply to fulfill the desires of their flesh. So think about the idea of casting off all sort of moral restraint and running wild. What would it look like for sinful humanity, for a culture, to cast off restraint and to to just do whatever their sinful nature wanted to do? Well, some things we know they would do just from just from the way people are. They, they would fight against any and all authority, right? Because ain't nobody going to rule over me. They would violently assault people just because some people are, are violent. We see that in, in Noah's day. There would be stealing of stuff. You have something, I want it. What happens if I have no moral restraint? I'll just take it. Or they may just burn things down. A friend of mine, when he was younger, was a hoodlum who had cast off restraint to some extent and lived in Tulsa and would burn buildings down just to watch them burn. Does that sound familiar? I mean, does that sound like what we see in the news right now? It should. But let's be real. This isn't all people who cast off all restraint would do. They would also devalue human life because... Your life doesn't matter. Humans don't matter. They would value certain lives over other lives. I I like these people, so they're okay, but I hate those people, so we can just kill them. There would be great sexual immorality. There would be greed to the extent that it, it dominated our lives. There would be extreme selfishness. I want what I want, and I'm the only one who matters. There would be a putting away of any sort of inconvenience in our life. And so we might say they had have abortions at will because a, a child at this point could be inconvenient for their lives. They would minimize or eliminate the idea of God's judgment. They would oppress the weak and the powerless. Because if I've cast off all restraint, I... Want to be the boss. I mean, in any culture, somebody's going to rise to power, right? Somebody is going to be in charge. If there's no elected way to do it, there's no anything like that, then I want to be the one. And so I will oppress those weaker than me so I can be in charge. Hate will abound in a culture. Hate will abound towards those who are different because we kind of all just sort of inherently don't like people who are different anyway. So there would be hatred towards people who were ethnically or culturally or socially different than us. And this should sound familiar as well. All of these are signs of a people who have cast off the restraint of God's word. So what is the end of such a people? Well, they perish, the King James Bible tells us. What do you think happens in a culture when the people of the culture... Cast off restraint and begin to run wild. What is the end of such a culture? Should be a terrifying thought to us. Another one. Psalm 81, 11 and 12. The psalmist says, my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them up to their own hearts their own hearts lust, and they walked in their own counsel. So it's a picture of God calling to people, come to me, turn from your sin, turn from your rebellion. And they they not only ignore God, they actively determine they want nothing to do with God. And after a time, here's what God does. God says, okay then, have it your way. And He turns them over, it says, unto their own hearts Lust. He gives them up to live according to their own counsels, their own plans, their own ideas. In essence, God says to them, have it your own way. See how that works out for you. What would it look like in a culture 
where God had given people up to their own lusts, their own counsels, their own plans, their own ideas. Well, they would probably fight against all authority. They would probably violently assault people. They would probably steal stuff. They would probably burn stuff. They would probably devalue human life. They'd probably value certain lives over others. They would probably be sexually immoral, be greedy, be selfish, have abortions at will. Because let's keep in mind again, that's the murder of an unborn child. They'd be greedy, they'd be uh, minimized or eliminate the idea of God's judgment. They'd oppress the weak and the powerless. They would hate people who were ethnically, culturally, or socially different. All of that should sound very familiar to us as well. And when you see this in a culture, it is a sign of God's judgment on the people. Now remember there are two kinds, I guess you'd say, two kinds of God's judgment. There is temporal judgment and there is eternal judgment. Eternal judgment is the great white throne cast in the lake of fire where you smoke of your torments rises forever and ever. There's also temporal judgment. The book of Judges, or the book the Old Testament, we see that a lot. Right? How often did Israel stray and rebel and God allow someone else to come and rule over them? That is temporal judgment. Another sign, another way God does this temporal judgment is He turns the culture over to themselves. He lets them go and lets them run wild and, and do what they want to do. Let me prove to you. This is a point of judgment from God. Turn to Romans 1, 18. And I don't know what page it is. I didn't write it down. It's page 1730 in my Bible, if that helps anyone. Romans 1, 18-32 lays out what happens when a culture rejects and replaces God. And I don't have time to get into a detailed study. We're almost out of time already. So I'm going to summarize real quick. But take some time this week and read this passage slowly. Over and over again. And look at it deeply. Okay, so verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. So several things that I don't have time to talk about. But it is a passage of wrath. And it is God's wrath. And the idea of it being revealed from heaven is it being poured out. So this isn't accidental. This isn't just the way the world has become. This is God actively pouring out His wrath on people. Why? Why has God done this? It is because the people have rejected Him. How have they rejected Him? Look at verse 20 and 21. It says they, the revelation of God is rejected. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginings, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So they, they reject The revelation of God. There is a revelation that says this is who God is. This is what God's like. And the culture says, well, I don't like that. I don't like a God who has wrath He reveals from heaven. I don't like a God who is holy and demands we be holy. I don't like a God who punishes sin in such a terrible way and says if I don't repent and believe on the one who died, that I will go to hell for that. I don't like that. I reject that. And so what happens is that rejection is, or that revelation is replaced by man-made ideas. Again, look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginings, foolish, worthless in the way they thought. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like unto corruptible man. And to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Wherefore, I'll stop there, because that's the next one. Verse 25 also. Who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forevermore. So let's say we don't like this revelation of what God is like. That makes me uncomfortable. 
makes me afraid. I just think it's mean. And so they said, here's what God is like. I think God is just really happy with us no matter what we do. I think God doesn't care about our morality. I think everybody but like Adolf Hitler goes to heaven. I think this is what God is like. And so they wrote their little books, and they wrote their little blog posts, and they, this is, here's what we're missing about God. Here's the parts of God you never understood before. And so they replace the revelation of God with man-made ideas about God. So what's the result of rejecting and replacing God? Look at verse 24. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Look at verse 26. For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even the women did exchange the natural use unto that which is against nature. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to those things which are not convenient. They reject the revelation of God. They replace the revelation of God. And they continue to do it for long enough that God says, have it your way. And He turns them over. And they give up. And always it goes up into uncleanness and vile lusts and vile affections and reprobate sins. So when you look at a culture, perhaps particularly a culture that once where God was fairly central... And you see the culture is dominated by vile sins. And you see the culture is dominated by great wickedness. And you see the culture calls what is evil good and what is good evil. Then you begin to wonder, how did we get to this place? And so you look. How did the culture, how has it responded to the revelation of who God is and what God is like? Well, it's not liked it, has it? And so what did they do? They replaced it. They replaced what God has said about Himself in His Word with these other books and these other ideas and these other things. And, and holy doesn't mean holy and, and dead doesn't mean dead and hell doesn't mean hell and sin doesn't mean sin. And, and these sort of sins aren't really sins anymore anyway. So the final way, how can you really look? You look at a culture, how can you say for sure? Because sin abounds in every culture and every world. How can you look and see this for sure is a way God has given this culture up? What is the end of it? Look at verse 32. Who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. So they know the idea that there is a judgment to come. They, they understand what, what I, my sin, my lifestyle it's one of those people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to encourage you to do it. And when you do it, I'm going to rejoice in your doing it. Brother, you're free. I'm, I'm so excited to see how free you are. I'm so excited to see you throw off the bonds of legalism and, and religion. Hallelujah. I'm so glad you're like this now. Whew, it's wonderful. It's amazing to be free. And in the end, all it is is they've been given over to a reprobate mind. This should sound a lot like America right now. Not just in this moment either. This passage it, it highlights the downward spiral into depravity our culture and our country has been in for quite a while. None of this just happened in 2020. 2020 broke a lot of things, but not that. It was already happening. We were already headed in this direction. And so here we are. As I look at what's going on in America right now, I can't not see signs of the wrath of God revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold or suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I believe with every fiber of my being, whatever that means, America in this moment, at this time, is without doubt given over 
a reprobate mind. And we are under the wrath of Almighty God. And that should terrify us. Like Habakkuk, we should say, I have heard thy speech and I am afraid. And that takes us back to Habakkuk and how we pray. In wrath, remember mercy. Our posture, our attitude in prayer for America in the coming days is one of pleading for mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. And let's be brutally, ruthlessly, absolutely honest. America is getting what it deserved. Years and years of casting off restraint. Years and years of saying we want nothing to do with God. Years and years of rejecting God's revelation of Himself. Years and years of replacing God's revelation with man-made ideas. And God has allowed us to run wild, to fulfill our own lusts, to live by our own counsels, by our plans and our ideas. God is allowing us to reap what we've sown. He has said, you don't want me. Enjoy what it's like when I'm not there. And He has turned us over. So we plead for mercy. We don't plead for God to give us what we deserve. Because we are currently getting what we deserve. We pray for God to give us what we do not deserve. God, in this time of judgment, in this time of wrath, please remember mercy. Let us recognize our nation's desperate need for mercy and cry out to God to be merciful to us as sinners. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take time and, and pray. Cry out and ask God to show us mercy in this time. Merciful God, we come tonight and we do plead for mercy for our nation. We acknowledge, Lord, our, our culture and we as individuals have played parts in it at times. But our culture has cast off restraint. Our culture has wanted nothing to do with you. Our culture has rejected your revelation of yourself and we have remade you in an image that makes us feel good gives us warm fuzzies in the night and we repent we repent for the times we may have done it in our lives we repent for the times we've seen this happen in people and we didn't have the courage to stand up and say no that's not what God is like 
We repent for the times we've not been bold and not been clear about who you are and what you're like. And we plead for mercy tonight. Grant mercy. Put out the fires that are burning in our nation. Grant mercy and stop the tropical storms that are coming against the coasts of our nation. Grant mercy and give repentance to people to turn from their wicked ways and turn to you to turn from their terrible, terrible replacement of who you are and what you're like and and acknowledge you as the one true God and you are who the Bible says you are. Grant mercy and let there be revival in your churches. Church in America is in a steep decline. And Lord, if you do not pour out your spirit upon us and grant revival, we're headed to becoming even more godless society than we are now. So grant revival, Lord. Grant, be merciful and grant revival in your churches. Launch them out into their communities. Let us fight the darkness of our communities and our country with the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See people turn to you. Thank you, God, for your mercy up to this point. Thank you for your long suffering. Thank you for your word that guides us and we don't have to wonder what's going on. We can know. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We plead for mercy with confidence because our God is merciful and will show mercy. Ephesians says, But God, who is rich in mercy, and for His great love wherewith He loved us. If there is one constant we see in Scripture, it is God is not only willing to show mercy, but God desires to show mercy. So let's stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.